The following content is brought to you by Will Harris, Andy Beach, and Paul Boyer. This is your hyperbole-free coronavirus update for May 6th. As I record this at 4.11 p.m. Pacific time, we have 1,257,157 coronavirus cases in America with 74,142 deaths. Today's daily death total of 1,871 is the first time since April 6th that a daily death total has been under 2,000, excluding weekends when the totals are historically lower. California Governor Gavin Newsom is expected to announce on Thursday plans to reopen parts of his state into phase two. This will include curbside pickup at businesses such as bookstores, clothing stores, sporting goods, toy stores, and florists, given that they follow additional safety protocol. The state is also working on guidelines that would allow restaurants and other hospitality businesses to open their doors again, although that would be phase three. And this has been your hyperbole-free coronavirus update. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Politics, Politics, Politics podcast. My name is Justin Robert Young on May 6th, 2020. Welcome. All right. Uh, we, we got a, a lot to get to here today. We're going to talk to Andrew Heaton. We're going to review a political ad that's gotten a lot of attention over the past few days. But before I get into it, I, I just want to right off the rip, make a promise to you guys. Because I had a epiphany over the weekend. As I found myself wading through all the politics of it all, I'm trying to find, I work for you guys 24-7. I am always trying to find something that I can bring into this very unique PX3 universe that I can synthesize and bring out to you. And I found myself having an internal thought that I had had once too many times. I hate this. I hate talking about the virus. I, 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 you know, even the Tara Reid thing, which was novel, right? At least it was something that we could talk about that wasn't whether or not people are dying. Uh, Politics as we know it is on hold. Essentially, I got tired of being sick and tired. So... We're going to get a little creative on this show in the next few weeks. We're going to try and do things that bring us back into the world of politics. And that's going to mean not everything having the most news peg. So, of course, anything that is worthwhile will be talked about. I just don't know how many more times I can do the let's keep an eye on the death toll because that's going to tell us how Donald Trump is going to do. Or is Joe Biden's strategy of hiding in his basement good or bad? We discuss. I can't do it. I can't. Not anymore. So we're going to do a little bit of, of going back in time today. But going forward, I want to get back to the stuff that we love the most. The politics of it all, the gamesmanship, the messaging, the scandals, the screw-ups, the debates. We're, we're, we're going to do our best to package that up. We're going to have to go into the past and find it. I will package it up and I will bring it to you on Wednesdays and Fridays and Mondays and Thursdays if indeed you are a $3 club member. So, there's that. I, I just I just have to get this off my chest. And, and and in my last moment of just being frustrated by this virus, 
let me get frustrated by this virus one more time. Because two stories. I think that, that some of the reporting on on COVID this week has been atrocious. And normally, uh, you know, back in the day, I used to have the jury podcast where I would do a little bit more of my pedantic journalism bitching. Well, I'm going to do it here. This is where it's going to be. Because there were two stories that drove me up a wall on Monday and Tuesday. Here was the one that happened on Monday. This is the New York Times, their headline. Models project sharp rise in deaths as states reopen. Now, initially, this was only about one model, and we're going to get to that. But I'm going to read this verbatim. As President Trump presses for states to reopen their economies, his administration is privately projecting a steady rise in the number of coronavirus cases and deaths over the next several weeks. The daily death toll will reach about 3,000 on June 1st, according to an internal document obtained by the New York Times, a 70% increase from the current number of about 1,750. The projections are based on government modeling pulled together by the Federal Emergency Management Agency, forecast about 200,000 new cases each day by the end of the month, up from 25,000 cases a day currently. That was the initial New York Times story. Now, they wound up adding the Murray model, which had upped its death toll. So that's why they could say models. But initially, it was Trump administration privately forecasts a massive rise in cases and deaths. They got this from an internal document. But the reason why this drives me up a wall is because of how we're talking about it in this article, about how it's portrayed. That this is the Trump administration saying one thing to the public, open up, time to get the economy back to work. I'm Donald Trump. I'm sitting in front of the Lincoln Memorial and I'm talking about how everybody's going to get back to work and our economy's going to be roaring again. While on the other side saying, oh my God, everybody's going to die. Now here's the reality. That model was from a professor at Johns Hopkins University. He did not mean it to be predictive, and indeed meant it to be one of many scenarios that could happen. Indeed, if you go to the Murray model, every single day, what they are projecting as deaths is at the center of a range, saying that if they project a thousand people will die, then that means that it could be as high as 3,000, as low as 150. I'm making these numbers up. But, but you get the sense. The, the statistical modeling on this necessitates the worst-case scenarios. But why did this catch fire? It caught fire because there was perceived hypocrisy, government saying, government whispering, and it ties into the big narrative that we have right now. When is too soon to reopen and are we indeed doing that right now? And this model gives us everything that you could want in terms of saying, yes, this is the worst possible idea. What's more, the government knows it. My problem with the article is that we need these details. We need this context right now. I can brush off a lot of narrative building from from media because in general, whatever, who does it really hurt? But when we're talking about life and death, we're talking about, uh, you know, the, the, the economies, the livelihoods of people. We're talking about their actual lives as we try to process what this pandemic means. That's what's at stake right now. You can't just lump this stuff together. 
I believe that the New York Times has done by and large good work, but this is bad. And this is specifically bad because if what you bitch about constantly is we're not listening to scientists, we're not listening to the science, this is a bad projection of science. Now that involves the government. This one doesn't, but it also ran me up a wall. This was the LA Times. Headline, scientists say a now dominant strain of the coronavirus could be more contagious than the original. Here's the lead. Scientists have identified a new strain of the coronavirus that has become dominant worldwide and appears to be more contagious than the versions that spread in the early days of the COVID-19 pandemic, according to a new lab study led by scientists at Los Alamos National Laboratory. The new strain appeared in February in Europe and migrated quickly to the east coast of the United States and has been the dominant strain across the world since mid-March. Skipping ahead, we get to the big scare paragraph. Scientists with major organizations working on a vaccine or drugs to combat the coronavirus have told the Times that they are pinning their hopes on initial evidence that the virus is stable and not likely to mutate the way influenza viruses do, requiring a new vaccine each year. This Los Alamos report could upend that assumption. Two big takeaways from this article. Number one, the strain that came in from Italy is different from the strain that originally uh, happened in China, and this one is more contagious. Okay, you know, uh, it seems like it certainly has ravaged Europe. It has not quite ravaged Japan or South Korea in the same way. Maybe. You want to know what? I don't know. That seems like something that is, is good to be studied. Number two, and this is an assumption made by the reporter and not stated in the report that they say that other experts have have told them that they hope this does not mutate fast because that could affect a vaccine. At this point, putting that in the article effectively says this study means we All the work that is being done now on a vaccine may or may not be for naught. That's intensely irresponsible. Because guess what? The report that they are referring to was put up on a site before it is peer-reviewed. And virologists who have read into it think that maybe this particular study has gotten over their skis a little bit. Since we're all playing fast and loose with journalism, let me go ahead and quote a dude off Twitter. He's not just any dude. He's a professor at Harvard, Bill Hannigy. This preprint is getting a lot of attention. It claims that the SARS-CoV-2 virus is mutating into a more transmissible form as the pandemic wears on. I think that those claims are suspect to say the least. Major observation, a specific mutation in the spike protein of the virus has been in a higher fraction of cases as the pandemic pandemic has worn on in multiple places. Given the role of the spike protein and the entry of the virus to cells, this might be reasonable. But now for the cold water. We need to distinguish between selection, in which a variant becomes more common because it leaves more descendants, and founder effects, in which a variant becomes more common because it was fortunate rolling the dice. And by that, I mean that this variant might have been lucky and got introduced to places outside Wuhan and different approaches to social distancing early on. Now, folks, I ain't a scientist, but I do know this. I got sent that article multiple times. In fact, both of those. Both of these articles, the New York Times and the LA Times article, they were the most read things on COVID during this young week. And I think both of them have serious contextual holes in them. These are the kinds of things that we are making decisions on, not just governmental, but personally. We're all cooped up. We're all lonely. We're all looking to to, to reconnect with whatever old world we have left. And I don't think that we are better served, either in our government or in our media, by a lack of context now. 
not as we are at our most panicked, taking our first steps back out into the world, afraid that there is a silent killer here to ravage us yet again when we poke our heads above the water. Now is the time that we focus on complicated issues. This isn't left or right. This isn't black or white. We need to pay attention. The smartest people in the world and the dumbest people in the world are all learning more about what we are seeing every day. And the last thing we need is confirmation bias theater. When the biases being confirmed are that of a panicked global population. A federal judge on Tuesday ordered officials in New York State to hold its Democratic primary election in June and reinstate all qualifying candidates on the ballot. Uh, that primary had been canceled last month uh, over concerns about the coronavirus. This was because, or at least the overturn, was because of a lawsuit filed by a few people, including Andrew Yang. So good for Yang and good for Bernie Sanders, who I know is very upset about that. And let's go ahead and all hold our breaths as New York State files an appeal. Politics. On Twitter, I asked you guys yesterday, at Justin R. Young, if you don't follow me. Two tweets. Number one, what do you like about politics? And what do you hate about politics? All right, a few immediate observations based on 24 hours of results. Number one. Boy, do you guys hate a lot more about politics than you like. <laughs> to the tune of three times as many responses for hate than what you love. But here's what you do love. I'm going to read these. These are all verbatim from people. A change, good or bad, moving the country in a direction and not staying stagnant. The ecstasy of destroying one's opponents and the fact that you occasionally end up with a functional government. And it is with that that I play for you one of the most famous political ads of all time. This was for Ronald Reagan and George Bush in 1984. It is indeed morning again in America. It's morning again in America. Today, more men and women will go to work than ever before in our country's history. With interest rates at about half the record highs of 1980, nearly 2,000 families today will buy new homes, more than at any time in the past four years. This afternoon, 6,500 young men and women will be married. And with inflation at less than half of what it was just four years ago, they can look forward with confidence to the future. It's morning again in America. And under the leadership of President Reagan, our country is prouder and stronger and better. Why would we ever want to return to where we were less than four short years ago? If you've never seen the ad, number one, go look it up. Because if you're listening to a politics podcast and you haven't seen the Morning in America ad, please, please, please. It is required viewing. It's a minute of your time. But I'll do my best to explain it uh, for, for, for the time being. This is all very soft focus. Americans prospering. Moving into a new house. Raising the American flag. When the narrator mentions people being married, you see specifically a young couple up at the altar, but more specifically, the focus is on grandma. Grandma's in the front pew. She is glowing. She's excited. And uh, at the end, she comes up and hugs her granddaughter. The point on why I wanted to play this is because look at the things that people told me yesterday they love about politics. Moving the country in a direction and not staying stagnant. This is all about scoreboard. Look at where we were four years ago. Look at what's happening right now. The ecstasy of destroying one's opponents. This is 
effectively a diss track on Jimmy Carter. We were in hell. Now we're in heaven. Why would we ever want to go back to hell? And occasionally you end up with a functional government was the last quote. And that's what this is. This is not about the victory of politicians. This isn't even really about deifying Reagan. Reagan's mentioned once and he's heard not at all. The only time his face appears is is on a campaign button at the very end. It's about what he did for you and how you are enjoying it. Whether or not this is real, right? And obviously, President Reagan was a very divisive figure. There were many people for whom uh, we're not getting along so well. Indeed, for those that were at the time being ravaged by the AIDS epidemic, it was not morning in America. No, indeed, it was a fairly cold black midnight. But the messaging here appeals to the better nature of what in 2020 people said they wanted from politics. The other reason why I played that ad is because going around on Twitter is an echo of that famous communication. This is an ad from the Lincoln Project called Morning in America, M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, attacking Donald Trump. There's morning in America. Today, more than 60,000 Americans have died from a deadly virus Donald Trump ignored. With the economy in shambles, more than 26 million Americans are out of work. The worst economy in decades. Trump bailed out Wall Street, but not Main Street. This afternoon, millions of Americans will apply for unemployment. And with their savings run out, many are giving up hope. Millions worry that a loved one won't survive COVID-19. There's mourning in America. And under the leadership of Donald Trump, our country is weaker and sicker and poorer. And now, Americans are asking, if we have another four years like this, will there even be an America? Paid for by The Lincoln Project, which is responsible for the content of this advertising. Here's what you guys told me you hate about politics. A lack of good faith, said my good friend Scott Johnson. Uh, uh, My side and the other side's news bubble. The fact that it pairs Ivy League degrees with third grade pettiness. How nothing or hardly anything is genuine. It's crafted and meant to provoke, which is the game of it. But I don't like that the game of it is the thing. The deceptive ads. People should only be able to run ads about themselves. All the ads about their opponents seem to be full of lies and misdirections. And the feeling that you can't trust anyone. In fact, lying was something that you guys came back to over and over and over and over and over again. Hypocrisy and lying. I don't particularly think that the Morning in America ad is effective, despite the fact that it's gotten a lot of traction on Twitter. I think that there is... Certainly an appetite for people that despise Donald Trump, which is a fairly sizable portion of our uh, uh, American society and international to boot, that loves to see anybody dunking on him. And the Lincoln Project, which is comprised of never-Trump Republicans, and by the way, having listened to this ad a few times, I am almost positive that this ad came together because they realized that the number of marriages per day sounds like the amount of couples married in the first Reagan commercial. It's 65,000 to 6,500. I'll bet you these Reagan nerds, one of them heard it and said, oh, you want to know what? They hit the group text, and that's how this whole thing came together. They are certainly a unique case for that. But let's not break this down on whether or not this ad is specifically damaging to Donald Trump or if it highlights weaknesses in what he is doing. And let's instead look at it only as political messaging. Does it resonate? 
Does it make you want to talk about it? Does it make you want to spread it? I don't think so. Despite the fact that the Reagan version of Morning in America was indeed a diss track to Jimmy Carter, he is mentioned not at all. It is never said, thankfully, Reagan rescued us from Carter. However, in the Lincoln Project's Morning in America, Donald Trump's mentioned three times. There's no subtlety. There's no undeniability. When the original Morning in America ad says 65,000 Americans are going to get married today, it's kind of a useless stat. Sure, people get married all the time. And when you have a population as big as ours, uh, of course, there's going to be some kind of percentage that are doing it on any given day. But that's not the point. The point of them mentioning that is to say, look at all the people that are just beginning their lives right now, visually juxtaposed with the grandma who's already lived her life and is now getting the great coda that the American dream promises us, seeing our wishes fulfilled in our children and grandchildren. That's what's powerful. That's what's undeniable. When everything is spelled out for you, it's just another political hack job. What makes Morning in America something worthwhile to echo and parody is because that message still resonates. And yet, disciples of Reagan, because trust me, everybody who made that ad reveres Reagan like a god, have taken the text so literally they missed the point. But you want to know what? That was Reagan when he was running for re-election. That was Reagan dealing from a position of strength. What did Reagan do when he was trying to do what Joe Biden is trying to do right now? When he was trying to unseat a sitting president amidst a crisis. Of course, for Jimmy Carter, it was the gas shortages and the Iranian hostage crisis. This is an ad from Ronald Reagan in 1980. Do you really think Iranian terrorists would have taken Americans hostage if Ronald Reagan were president? Do you really think the Russians would have invaded Afghanistan if Ronald Reagan were president? Do you really think third-rate military dictators would laugh at America and burn our flag in contempt if Ronald Reagan were president? Isn't it about time we had the strong new leadership Ronald Reagan would provide as president? Isn't it about time America had a president whose judgment we can trust? What does this ad not mention once? Jimmy Carter. Because it doesn't need to. Americans were scared. Americans were annoyed. Americans already felt that Jimmy Carter's leadership was weak. So why did you need to say his name? Say the name of the cure and not the disease. The ad asked the question several times. Do you really think blank would have happened if Ronald Reagan were president? And even if your answer is yes, you still have to wrestle within your own soul with whether or not you're in the majority or the minority. And if you even have to wonder that, then the ad has been effective. It's something that I think is missing from the Lincoln Project stuff. And although I'm sure for the never-Trumpers that made it, it was a really fun time for them to lean forward in their leather-bound chair, knocking over a historical fiction novel as they high-five each other over Zoom. I don't know if it's sticky. I don't know if it resonates. And the reason why is because although I think it can compellingly present a problem, politics are about solutions. And I'm curious to see whether or not they are willing to cross the Rubicon from Trump criticism to Biden myth-making. Ladies and gentlemen, if you would like to support this show, please head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Uh, we had some issues with the Patreon uh, uh, over the weekend. I, 
You know, sometimes that website, uh, which I make my living almost exclusively on these days, it, boy, it does frustrate me, and uh, I'd be lying if I told you that there wasn't a few scares that came jolting up my spine every once in a while when I see people saying that their that their memberships were canceled or something was, uh, you know, their, their card was rejected. I know for me, on my mobile app, it still shows that some things that I have been charged for have been canceled. So let me just say this to everybody. If you are at the $3 level and therefore you have the bonus RSS feed, go ahead and check to make sure that you got the episode on Monday. If you didn't, delete that feed, get the feedback from your uh, from Patreon. And, and put it back into your podcatcher. I don't know what happened, but there were enough people that complained about it that I feel like I should get the word out there. That being said, I got a goal. I got a new goal. Because you want to know what? This whole thing, this year has just been such a mess for everybody. I'm not worried about money. We are on the cusp of 1,000 patrons. We're at the 870 mark or so. If you would like to get involved, and again, we got stuff for, for everybody, right? Big tent level, that's a buck. You want to get your name read at the beginning with uh, all, all the fancy pants with the Dear Martha violin? We got levels for that, too. That also comes with a a, a private group chat. So you can just bother me at all times. But 1,000 patrons. That's the new goal. We're going to be tracking toward that. Hopefully by the election, we can get to 1K. And, uh, yeah, that'd be amazing. One final thing. And that is the winners of our Bernie Sanders campaign undertaker giveaway. And this one might be the last one for a little bit. Congratulations to Trent S. and Michael Sluck. Please go ahead and uh, check the Patreon thread or your account so I can get your mailing address. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. Again, TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes Monday and Thursday. I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about this love and hate element of politics. And so I had to bring on uh, uh, one of my best friends in this crazy political podcasting world and somebody that I know thinks very, very deeply about this kind of stuff. Returning to the show, the host of The Political Orphanage. Welcome to the show, Andrew. How you doing? Thank you. Uh... I'm hanging in there, Justin. I'm hanging in there. It's good to be back. You know what? I'll put, I'll put it this way. Life is a little bit more palatable uh, talking to you, buddy. Uh, this is the, yeah, this is, this is a highlight of the day. It is. It is a delight. Uh, uh, all right. So I, I wanted to call you uh, and, and do this interview because we are going to talk, we, we have already talked about it on the show. Uh, basically I compared, have you seen the, the it's morning in America, the, the new Lincoln project commercial that is like the parody or, inverse of the famous Reagan one. I have not. So uh, the Lincoln Project is a bunch of never Trump Republicans, uh, uh, strategists uh, that have that are now dedicated to just, you know, destroying Donald Trump's chances to be president again. Uh, so they did their own ad. Uh, and, and I've made the case so far that I think it's not effective because uh, I, I went online yesterday and asked people just in general, what do you love about politics? What do you hate about politics? And I got a ton of great answers. And, and you asked the internet about that. I asked the internet. That oh man, that uh, that was just opening up a fire hose of bile. Yeah. What was the takeaway? <laughs> People like the idea that they believe that they can change the country. They like when it accidentally happens, and they like destroying their enemies. Yes, uh, that sounds about right. And that's what I think, and I've already made the case on this podcast, the It's Morning in America, the Reagan version, does. 
because it never mentions Carter, but it's very obviously, look at all these awesome things I did. Uh, uh, wasn't life hell when Carter was here? Uh, it never mentions Reagan. Uh, aside from it mentions him once, but doesn't show him and he's not speaking in it at all. So it's not about the deification of one person. It's about what you have done now that uh, a, a government is functional. And it is about the positive change, at least as he's uh, uh, projecting it. What people hated about politics was tribalism. They hate bad faith arguments. And most of all, they hate lying and hypocrisy, which that's a, a subjective thing. But the reason why I thought the other ad, which is basically showing all of the things that have happened with the coronavirus uh, uh, over the last few weeks, is that that is all about Trump. It is all about the disease and not at all about the cure. And that, I think, is what people are uh, have keyed in on. They don't like hearing there, – there's a, a primal sense of – hey, I'm happy to point out that this is the disease and I'm happy to identify with other people who agree that this is the disease. But ultimately, they're motivated more by the cures. They're motivated more by this is what needs to change. Sure, I think that's that's very insightful. I'll add to that that um, I, I'm a pretty, pretty shrewd analyst in a variety of things. I don't know enough about public health care policy to honestly adjudicate who's doing a bang up job and who's doing terrible. Um, I, I like I, I'm on the record as a guy that doesn't like Donald Trump very much, uh, but I don't wanna get into the habit of just forming a mental tautology in my mind where all, in, all incoming data just exists to confirm the hatred that I already have in my heart. Uh, I suspect a lot of people are like that. We're like, I'm like, 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 I already knew what I needed to know in this election. <laughs> like, I like sure. prior to, yeah. to Corona, I didn't need any additional data. I wasn't on the fence, and so mo most of the sort of weaponized Corona stuff, it just doesn't. I, I'm not even paying attention to it because it, like, it, it's usually made by people that were going to take whatever was, um, whatever Trump did was the worst possible thing that could ever happen under any universe. Yeah, and uh, um, and like, like, I was like, like, guys, you already had me. Uh, like I was already, uh, I was already on board with not voting for Trump. Uh, yeah. but, but yeah. And I, I kind of get the impression people are a little bit worn out on, uh, you know, violent hatred. Uh, I, I think that that's actually a small minority of, of the country that really gets off on hating people. And most people aren't in that camp. All right. Uh, but, but everybody who's into it is on Twitter. Uh, uh, let's true. pull, let's, let's pull back a little bit though. And let me ask you the question, although I've already contaminated the jury pool a little bit. What do you love and hate about politics? Pick which uh, a binary side you want to go with first. Uh, 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 what do you? Well, here I'll, I'll pick it first. What do you love about politics? I, I like problem solving. Like that—that that is the, the the appeal that got me into politics initially was like, how do we fix things? I, I like the I like the public policy side of politics. I like the looking at data and going, uh, you know, if we put in roundabouts instead of traffic lights or whatever the thing is right yeah. we're gonna get we're gonna get a reduction in accidents and that kind of thing um and uh, so i enjoy that i and i enjoy having those conversations I've, I've got a small cadre of friends you're one of them um that that uh that are informed and um open-minded enough that that i can emotionally safely engage with these people and usually learn something and i i really like that i, I enjoy i enjoy the problem solving element of politics um I would probably like the community building element of politics more if I were more entrenched in any given community. Yeah. I did get like, you know, just the, the, the faintest vapors of the Yang campaign when you when you and I were in New Hampshire. I think I would have enjoyed that if I if I jumped in feet first at the very beginning. I would have, you know, had for the record, literally, yes, the dying uh, hours, the final hours of Yang 2020. You were yeah. you were in, a part of that intoxicating I, I, aroma. I was the last endorsement <laughs> received uh, before ending his campaign. So like, so I, I think that that would have been fun. But in my experience, though, so much of the community building element of of politics is the part I hate, yeah. uh, which is the tribalism, right? Um, there's this bizarre thing we've got as human beings where we 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 want to be in a cooperative group, which is good, and we crave hating another group and, and just are desirous of fighting them. And I don't like that bit at all. I think it, it completely uh, obscures the whole problem solving thing I'm trying to do on my end because yeah. Then, then it's not. I, I can't sit down and have a conversation with you about how to how to fix the roundabouts if all we're really talking about is 
uh, the 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 elephant sigil is truly the better tribe, uh, and the the you know the the donkey totem pole and all this you know bull- anthropological knuckle dragging. Yeah. Uh, so I, I hate all of that. I hate um, I hate 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 tribalism. Uh, I hate uh, um, illogical reflexive arguments that are built around contempt and hatred. Those are all awful things about our system. When do you think you were the most into politics? Um, probably when I was in, probably when I was in college or shortly thereafter. Uh, it, it didn't. I don't recall it having the same level of of anger in it than that it did now. Like like when I was in college, I was like I started out like a like a tub thumping Republican when I yeah. got into college. Like I was like very much like you got GOP. knocked out and you got up again. <laughs> but I I yeah I I and no one, I, nobody's I gonna get you down into centrist Democrat yeah. territory. Uh, Oklahoma Democrats being effectively a third party. Yeah. And uh, so, but but I don't remember losing any friends when I did that. And I don't and I don't remember it being in well, any well, way a hindrance to dating. I don't remember it even coming up in dating. Um, it just you could like there was a small cadre of people that were political nerds that wanted to fight about it, and they were fun to fight with. And uh, and I did that, and then got into um, uh, you know I started working for Congress. It was still fun, enjoyed that. Um, had much more of a team to it. Um, for me at the time. Um, so yeah, those were probably the peak periods. And I've, I found it's gone kind of downhill uh, uh, the last few years. Have I told you my theory on why politics has gotten more vitriolic? No, but I would love to know. More people are into it. And the reason why more people are into it is because there's this is the last monoculture. Everybody watches different television Everybody oh, listens right. to different music. There's no more pop radio. There's no more top 40 that really matters. Now it's Spotify controls, whatever, you know, the algorithms of, of the playlist and stuff like that. But it's not as impactful as, uh, you know, listening to your morning radio and knowing that there is a hit. There's no more Howard Stern, at least on the right. level where there's like, even for those demos, this is the one clearinghouse of information. Everything has a, the, the Tower of Babel is gone and now the one thing that everybody still looks to is politics because politics has remained largely unchanged the only difference now is that it's the only thing we all know about because it's the only thing that we all have to pay attention to i i think that's definitely a part of the puzzle i'll add to that that i i i take kind of like a, a robert putnam angle to this where i think that uh, there's a significant portion of people that are politically active who would have been very religious here 15 years ago. Ah. Uh, but but as is traditional religion, and I, I'm saying this is like I, I'm an atheist that goes to a Buddhist sangha when we're not on lockdown. So I, I don't like I'm not saying this is like sure. a, a Southern Baptist or anything. But no. But basically, uh, also also religion- also true story. You while we were in New Hampshire stopped an Orthodox Russian priest uh, <laughs> and had a, 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 a you have you have you have done your time uh, uh, searching out the religious truths of yeah. the universe. Hey, you know that's like I, well, I'm not a Christian anymore. The Eastern Orthodox, still the home team. You know, like, like still like like shout out to Abuna. I'm, uh, I'm just saying you have you have the, your your shoe leather is worn spiritually. <laughs> right. You have you have looked around. But but I I think that that I think religion historically has given people at least in our country it, it gives you both community and purpose. And uh, and and absent that, people are going, oh well, I'll be a part of this political thing because it provides me with a narrative, it provides me with purpose, it provides me with passionate people. We're all on the same page. All of that's good. The problem is, you can be Eastern Orthodox and not hate Muslims. You yeah. can be a Jew and not go. Our our religion's got to destroy all of the Baptists. Like you don't have to be. But it's it's a zero sum game in politics, and it, and it breeds vitriol. Yeah, I think we're just in a particularly weird phase of it now because politicians. Wait, can I can I keep ranting? Go I rant go 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 go. Um, I the other downside to this of of everybody being political right now is, um, I like I am actively trying to develop ways to avoid talking to idiots about politics and like and I, <laughs> like I hate to sound like an elitist prick here. I know what I'm talking about. If you don't know what you're talking about. 
I don't want to exchange emotional states with you because that's probably what you want to do with me. Is you, you want to quote unquote talk about politics. No, you want to like broadcast how much you hate somebody. And when I don't engage in that because I don't like feeling hatred, then you're going to get mad at me for not, not, but, but like you, you get into stuff like, like I'm trying to work, like, like somebody brings up, say, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg and how much they love Ruth Bader Ginsburg, sure. how much they hate Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Yeah. That's great. Like, like, so, like, our, so you're in the living constitutional camp? Crickets. Oh, you don't know what the f you're talking about. Great. I'm not going to engage with you on this. Like, if, if you want to read a goddamn book and come talk to me, fine, we'll do that. But if, if, if you just want me to, like, like play mudslinging with Republicans and Democrats, I've got better things to do with my time. That's good. I like it. I like it. So is this the time that you have hated politics the most, then, if, if, if we already oh, yeah. identified uh, when you've loved it the most? Uh, yeah, but by, by far. The Trump years have been the most horrible uh, of of politics. Yeah, because I, I think that it's like, I, like, like you know, it was like when when I was in um, New York, I, I was a writer on Fox Business, and uh, I was you know like like I was hanging out and dating people that that were progressive Democrats, and it was at the time it was just sort of like a, I work for Fox, I really like gay people. Oh, okay. Like yeah. it didn't like it was just sort of established that you're not a bigot and then we're okay here. And like like Trump got in and the drawbridge went up. And everybody siloed, and I, I have found it to be just so much more angry and teensy than it previously was. Yeah. So it, it went from a, a polite boo at a dinner party to getting yoga mats thrown at your head. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Uh, it, it, so yeah, I like yeah. This is definitely the nadir of uh, of of my love affair with politics. All right. Uh, uh, we only have a few more minutes with you. Uh, so so let me get the the Justin Amash uh, question out there. New Monmouth mm -hmm. poll has him polling at 5%. Uh, mm -hmm. That is six points lower than Gary Johnson had polled at a similar point. Uh, do you think that that maybe the, the, the does that, you know, where, where do you take that data any certain way? Uh, I mean, I still think it's. Uh, we're we're still far enough out that I don't think that that is a, a immediately relevant poll um, in terms of trying to assess out how he's going to do. Um, I I like Justin Amash. I like Justin Amash as a candidate more than I liked Gary Johnson. So this is not a slight to him. Yeah. But I think that any third party candidate is going to have a harder time this time than last time. L last time there was such a it was it was two historically unlikable, historically unpopular candidates. Um, both of whom scared the bejesus out of the the other people there. I think with Trump, whether you like him or hate him, the question mark has largely gone away. Uh, like like the yeah. what's this guy going to do? We know what he's going to do. He's going to say mean stuff on Twitter and be a Republican, right? We like yeah. we, we kind of know. So I, I think the people that um, were horrified by Trump and and were were voting for Johnson as a protest vote as Republicans is probably going to be a lot less this time because they're they've made their peace and reconciled with whatever the Trump presidency looks like. Uh, the the other thing too is that I think um, uh, I think there was a phenomenon where uh, Johnson pulled significantly higher than than he ended up getting in the actual election for yes. two reasons. Yeah. One, voters enjoy flattering themselves and and thinking of themselves as more independent than they are. And when push comes to shove, they get to the polls and they go, ah, gotta go, gotta go red or blue, right? The the other thing is that I think. Um, and this happened in general with Trump supporters, regardless of whether or not you added Gary Johnson into it, was uh, Trump supporters didn't want to be outed as Trump supporters and a significant amount of them, um, kind of similar to, to Brexit voters in the UK. And uh, so um, they, they would they would be represented, uh, they would be underrepresented in polls. I think a kind of similar thing happened uh, anecdotally based on conversations I've had with people in California, where um, they, they were going to vote for Trump, but they did not want to be identified as uh, Trump people uh, by their friends. Shy, so shy, shy Trump John. voters as the phenomenon huh? went. Shy Trump voters as the yeah. phenomenon went. Yeah. Um, that, that being said, though, yeah, I, I don't think that uh, Amash will, like, I, I, I would love it if Amash, you know, crested the 5% threshold for federal funding. I would love it if he did well enough to get a third party into the debates. That would be thrilling. That said, though, I think all third party candidates, I think, are going to have a harder time this election than the kind of maybe it'll happen moment that happened with uh, 2016 Gary Johnson. He needs a viral video. He needs one of those videos where it's like, you know, like this is like above and below, like on like the thing where he's just he's just making a coherent point that either of the two candidates would make for for a minute that fits in a Twitter video that people could be like, I don't know. He makes sense. That's what Amash needs. Amash needs that. One last thing before I let you go, because I do think this is important. 
while you were leaving the blaze, you gave me a call and you uh, were, were talking about the futures and next steps and everything. And I told you, and I've repeated this publicly, that I told you that I would literally get into a fight with you if you didn't do a politics show uh, and like went to Scotland because 2020 was the time where this was the time to harvest it. And I am here publicly to tell you I'm sorry. Uh, you, <laughs> your boy knows when to take the L. That was a that's my bad. I didn't realize there was going to be a global pandemic that would ruin this election. So you want to know what you should have went to Edinburgh and fixed bikes or whatever the hell you were going to do. That's my bad. I apologize to you, my friend, Andrew Heaton. I, I uh, graciously accept your apology. And uh, you know what I'll, I'll add, though? I, I think that, uh, Justin, you and I are both performing a very necessary uh, uh, pu public uh, public services right now, which are uh, we, we aren't coming in to sling partisan bile. We're not sure. coming in to spin stuff. Um, and uh, I, I th there is a um, uh, you, you've got a very dedicated audience, much of whom uh, has, has gratefully become my audience as well, of, of people that are looking for um, rational, thoughtful thinkers that aren't just promoting teams. And I like I, I'm glad that I'm doing that because we need more people doing that. And I, I feel like I am contributing to the, the solutions that are so desperately needed right now. Good. Apology rescinded. Andrew Heaton <laughs> is the host of the Political Orphanage. Please go listen to that podcast because it is amazing. And of course, uh, uh, alienating the audience, the science fiction uh, podcast, which is equally great uh, uh, at Mighty Heaton on Twitter. Anything else? Nope, you did it. There we go. He's sitting in his bathtub uh, like the rest of us during this pandemic, waiting for it to go away. See you later, Andrew. Goodbye. And that'll wrap it up for us today. I would like to thank our Titanic $10 tier, middle-aged Mike, Chad, Dallas Danger Taylor, your boy Craig, Zachy Chan, TroubleFilm.com, Nick, Utah, Jimmy Montana, D-Laser, Captain Bunzo, Frozen Summers, Milk Lake Scoop, Emily Wolf, Glenn 99, Berkeley Stephen, The Gen, NH Blumpkin, Robert Eoxy, Andrew, Brad, Daily Tech News Show, Darren Kitchen, DL Friedman, Jay Milius, Jonathan Scott, Lindsay Miranda, Nick, Nomadic Terran, Olin and Angela, Richard, and Thor. You want to join their ranks? You head on over to TakePoliticsSeriously.com. You want to follow me? You do so at Justin R. Young on Twitter, Justin R. Young. On Instagram, if you would like to talk politics with other PX3 listeners all hours of the day, you head on over to our Discord, bit.ly slash jury discord. Till next time, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying politics has three names. Here's something I found on the web. What the I don't even know what the hell that was, but I'm leaving it in. Some shows talk about politics. Others talk about politics. And still more talk about politics. But this is the only show that talks about all Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs>